1984, pastors Jean and Sue started Faith Christian Center in a hotel ballroom. But for the past 36 years, they have taught people how to practically apply the Bible to their everyday lives. Over the years, God has blessed us and the church has grown. Faith Christian Center is now located on a beautiful 73-acre campus in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We believe the best is yet to come. Today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and teach you how to experience God's best in every area of your life. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms, in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive. As I am taught the Word of God, my life has changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. We may be seated. And if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. And my father says that today on this uh, snowy Valentine's Sunday, we are going where angels fear to tread. Amen? And so, but I, I believe that this is going to be a blessing to you and everyone watching or listening. And these Sundays, we're learning about the Holy Spirit and who He is and His role in our everyday lives. Two Sundays ago, we learned that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. The Bible says Jesus told us that He is our comforter, our counselor, our helper. He is our paraclete, the one who is with us to help us, to guide us, to direct us. He is, as we learn, the Spirit of truth, and He is he wants to lead us and to guide us into all truth. Last Sunday we learned that the baptism of the Holy Spirit gives us power to witness. That is the purpose of God's power. That is the purpose of the power, the divine power and the ability that comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Power to witness. And as we learn, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift it is a promise that belongs to every believer. It is a gift that has been given, and you can receive that wonderful gift by faith, by simple faith. When Paul wrote to the church at Galatia in Galatians 3 and verses 2 and 5, he reminded them that they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit by faith. He reminded them that they received the working of miracles by faith. Last Sunday after the services, a man and the church shared with me how he grew up Southern Baptist. And growing up Southern Baptist, he never heard about the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Occasionally, it might have been spoken against, but he never heard about it, was never taught about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he told me that he thought it was 2019, but in 2019, there was a point where I ministered on the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
He told me that he prayed that day, and he said that he did not feel anything. And as I rehearse that, we have to keep in mind that any good thing from our Heavenly Father, we receive by faith. We walk by the Word, we walk by faith, not by feeling. But that does not change the fact that God's presence, God's power, and God's Spirit can be felt. And it is a wonderful thing to feel the presence of God. And he shared with me how, after that Sunday, that week, one day he dropped the children off at school, and he went home, and he had a time of prayer in his kitchen, and he described it this way. He described it as tears of joy. And he told me, he said, Austin, tears of joy burst forth. And so if you're hungry, our Heavenly Father will fill you. If you're hungry, you will receive. As Jesus said, we ask and we receive, we seek and we find. The knock, we knock and the door is open to us. Jesus said, if we, though we are evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? But you may have to take the time to get alone with the Lord when there's no one around, no pressure, and ask him to fill you. And I'm here to tell you, he will. He hears and he answers us, amen? Every believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every believer should know and have the benefit of tongues in their daily prayer life. And for most believers, that is where they will experience the maximum benefit of the gift of the Holy Spirit and tongues is in their daily prayer life. Tongues, as we learned last Sunday, and the word for tongues in the Greek New Testament is glossa. Tongues is divine ecstatic utterance. It is supernatural language of the Spirit and by the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul tells us that when we pray in the Spirit in tongues, we speak directly to God in a tongue unknown to us. Now, the King James translators, that was a while ago, but they were wise, godly men. They added the word unknown to help us understand what Paul is saying in the English language. When we pray in tongues, we pray in a tongue that is unknown to us, but it may be known to others. It was on the day of Pentecost, and there have been plenty of times throughout church history in the history of missions when somebody has been praying or speaking in the Spirit, and somebody heard them and knew that that was one of the languages of the earth. And that's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1, though I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. When we pray in the Spirit, we utter mysteries with our spirit. As Paul tells us, our spirit man, the real you on the inside of you, prays. When we pray in the Spirit, we edify ourselves spiritually. We, we build up, we strengthen, we, uh, as uh, us young people today say, we charge our spirit man. We also pray as the Holy Spirit would have us pray for ourselves and for others. We pray God's perfect will. Paul told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15, he said, I will pray with my spirit and I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. 
in history, in church history, there was a resurgence of the gifts of the Spirit beginning at Azusa in 1906. You've heard my father tell the story of how he grew up at Bethesda Missionary in Detroit. His pastor was a woman, M.D. Bill. But it was in that church in the 60s that there was a resurgence of singing in the Spirit. The entire congregation, all at once, singing in the Spirit. And that's the kind of atmosphere your pastor grew up in. So the gifts are for today. The gifts are for us. And Paul said, I'm going to enjoy it all. I'm going to use it all. I'll pray with my spirit and I'll pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit and I will sing with my mind. He wrote in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And in verse 39, he even wrote, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Do not forbid it. Yet look at what the Apostle Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 19. But in the church, what does that mean? In the church, it means when we, the church, the ecclesia, we are gathered together in person. But in the church, when we are gathered together in person, publicly, Paul said, I would rather speak five intelligible words. That's words people can understand in the language the language of the area you're in, which for us is English most of the time, amen? In the church, so when we're gathered together publicly, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Today's message is about love. You might be wondering, where is he going? A long time ago, Tina Turner did a song, What's Love Got to Do With It? Now, we're not going to talk about the kind of love that Tina Turner was singing about. We're going to deal with the agape love of God today. When Paul wrote his first letter to the church at Corinth, he wrote to a church that was out of control. He said that they were worldly. Those are his words, not mine. He said, you are worldly. He told them that they were full of pride, arrogance, boasting, along with jealousy and quarreling. He told them that there was fighting, bickering, divisions, and even factions. There were even lawsuits among believers. They were, they were taking each other to court. He told them that they were even treating the Lord's table and communion as unholy and common. In fact, Paul told them, these are the Apostle Paul's words, not mine. Your meetings do more harm than good. And you read on, you find out that in the church, there was sexual immorality that was unrepentant of. It was going on, and those involved were coming and coming to church, and nothing was being done about it. Nothing was being said about it. And then you read on, and you find out that their services, which they claimed were charismatic, were out of control. Now, we've all been to a wedding when 1 Corinthians chapter 13 was read, the love chapter, and that's fine, Amen. I'm, I'm okay, 100% okay with reading the love chapter at a wedding or today's Valentine's Day, amen. If you want to go home and read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to your wife or husband, amen. I'm fine with that, the love chapter. But what is the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Why did the Apostle Paul write to the church at Corinth about love? The context of Paul writing to the church of Corinth about love was the misuse and the abuse 
of the gifts of the Spirit, including tongues, to a church that was out of control. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 19, but in the church, when we're, we're gathered together like we are today, even on a snowy day, but in the church, when we're gathered together, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And the point being, because no one can understand it. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, we learn that if tongues are uttered in public, there must be an interpretation. Otherwise, they are of no practical benefit to those who hear. They will not understand what is being said. When the gifts are abused or misused, or when tongues are abused or misused in public services, the risk is that unbelievers will come in and say, as Paul said, you are out of your minds. They won't understand. And that's why last Sunday I rehearsed to you what Dr. Frederick Casey Price told my father many years ago, told my father that as men of God who are filled with the Spirit, we have to conduct ourselves and services in such a way that an unsaved man, an unsaved businessman can walk in the doors, hear the word of God, receive what's being said, and give his life to the Lord without saying, as Paul said, you are out of your minds. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, we learn that tongues and the other gifts of the Spirit were being abused in public services. Why? Why? What was the problem? Why did Paul write 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Because it was all being done with the wrong motivation. At the very end of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 31, in the second half of the verse he wrote, and now I will show you the most excellent way. The King James says a more excellent way. You've heard me tell how I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was a little boy. I, I, my heart's desire is that everyone, every believer would know the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit and live a life led by the Spirit and be full of the Spirit and enjoy the benefit of tongues in their everyday prayer life. That is my heart's desire. It is important, amen? But there is something that is even more important than that, and it is the most excellent way, the most excellent way, which is the way of the agape love of God. So I want to speak to you today about the motive of love. What is the more excellent way? It is the way of love, the agape love of God. The agape love of God is selfless. Love in the world, love even on Valentine's Day, is what in the Greeks called eros, romantic love, passionate love, but it can be very selfish. Even phileo, the love of friendship, can be very selfish. But the agape love of God, it is selfless. It is the kind of love that our Heavenly Father has for us. The agape love puts God and it puts others first. This is how Charles Finney, the great preacher of the Second Great Awakening, this is how he defined the agape love of God. It is to will and to act toward the highest good of the other. Not yourself. To will and to act toward the highest good of the other. Number one this morning, the agape love of God is the more 
excellent way. The agape love of God is the more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, but earnestly desire the best, or as the NIV says, the greater gifts. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, divine ecstatic utterance, which we have been learning about last Sunday in the day. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. Say, say that with me. Say, but have not love. And it's not phileo, which is friendship. It's not eros, which is passion. But have not the agape love of God. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love. Say it again, say, but have not love. I am nothing. If I have all of that, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love. Say it again, say, but have not love. I do all that, but have not love. The agape love of God, I gain, I accomplish, I achieve nothing. So how can someone claim to follow Christ year after year and be full of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues and yet have nothing and their life not bear any good fruit? It is because they have not love. They have not the God kind of love. They may have tongues or prophecy or visions or dreams or a word from the Lord but they have not love. And after a year, you look at their life, they may have no fruit, they make no progress, and why is that? They have not love. They have not the God kind of love, which is agape love. What is the missing ingredient in their lives? It is the agape love of God. And what is the God kind of love? Let's look at it, verse, beginning in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. The agape love of God is patient. The agape love of God is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Verse 6, the agape love of God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Verse 8, we all know verse 8, but what kind of love are we talking about? Not phileo, not eros, the agape love of God. Verse 8, the agape love of God never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Now, I went to seminary, and I know that those that are of the perspective that the book of Acts is not for today, the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the gifts are not for today, they tried to head down the road of saying that these verses mean that there was a point where all of that went away, but that cannot be supported biblically. It's not just a long stretch. It is an impossible stretch, and that is an interpretation that the text 
does not justify. Here's how I would explain it. Every service, no matter how wonderful, always comes to an end. Every revival in history, no matter how wonderful, always comes to an end. And when the service comes to an end, or the revival comes to an end, no matter how wonderful it was, how are we supposed to live our lives on Monday, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, and on Thursday, and on Friday, and on this, the Sunday, that it's a snowy Sunday, the Metroplex is shut down, how, how are we supposed to walk that Sunday? We're supposed to walk by love, the agape love of God, which should be the motive for everything that we do, the agape love of God. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. Verse 10, but when perfection comes. Friends, there is nothing perfect in this world. The only perfect thing we have is the Holy Spirit who is with us. When perfection comes, Paul is talking about in eternity. When will we no longer need these things? When we are in eternity with the Lord. But when the perfection comes, when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. In eternity, the gifts of the Spirit will no longer be needed because we will know as he knows. Tongues will no longer be needed. Prophecy will no longer be needed. These are gifts that have been given to the church for the church age, and the church age is not over. Amen? Verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. He's obviously talking about eternity and being with the Lord in eternity. And in this life, no matter how much time God gives me, no matter how much time the Lord gives me, no matter how much I read and study and pray, I will not know fully until I see him face to face. That's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully. Oh, what a wonderful day it will be. And Dr. Fred Price, as much as he studied himself to show himself approved, now he knows fully, amen. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest, say the greatest, is love. And it's not phileo, it's not eros, but it is the agape love of God. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love, the agape love of God. How can agape love be greater than faith? Because love is the motivator. How can agape love be the more excellent way? Because love is the motivator. Remember, love is the command. It is the command of the New Testament. Jesus said in John 13, beginning in verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if. Say if. If you love one another. Paul tells us in Romans that the love command fulfills the law. And we learn if we walk in love, we'll fulfill every command of God. James the half-brother of Jesus, he called the love command the royal law of love. Agape love, 
walking in the God kind of love, it is the more excellent way. And it is greater than faith because love is the motivator. Number two, the agape love of God should be the motive by which we operate. The agape love should be the motive by which we do everything in our daily lives and in church when we come together. Why did Paul take the time to write to the church at Corinth to bring correction on multiple issues? Because he loved them with the agape love of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, but earnestly desire the best or the greater gifts. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the more excellent way. And the agape love of God should be the motive by which we do everything. The agape love of God should be the, the motive that drives us. Number three, not walking in love hinders the true moving of the Holy Spirit. Not walking in love the way we should hinders the true moving of the Holy Spirit. Paul told the church at Ephesus not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And one way we grieve the Holy Spirit is when we don't walk in love. As I shared two Sundays ago, the Holy Spirit is a person. And as a person, he has a personality. His voice is the still small voice. In scripture, the, the wind is used as a means to help us understand the, the coming and the going and the movement of the Spirit of God. And we can, as Paul tells us, we can grieve him. And one way we grieve him is when we, as we learned two Sundays ago, we don't listen to him or we ignore him. But another way we can grieve him is when we don't walk in love in our daily lives with our brothers and sisters in Christ and in church. Not walking in love grieves the Holy Spirit. And not walking in love hinders the true moving of the Holy Spirit. Why did Paul write to the church at Corinth giving guidelines, giving rules, giving instructions, giving parameters for the gifts of the Spirit, including tongues and public services? He was writing out of love, and he was concerned for the common good. He was concerned that things be done with the right motive, which is always the motive of love. And Paul knew that the public exercising of the gifts, no matter how wonderful, always comes to an end. As I said last Sunday, will we like signs and wonders, and we want to see them, but day by day, in our everyday lives, we are not to live by signs and wonders. We are to live by faith. We could say it this way, we're to live by the word of God. We like signs. We like wonders. We like miracles. When those things happen, it is easy. But day by day, we're not to walk by signs and wonders. Day by day, we're to walk by faith, which is by the word of God. We like the gifts of the spirit. Paul told us to eagerly desire the greatest gifts. He even said, covet them. We want to operate in them. We love it when they manifest as the Holy Spirit wills. But in our everyday lives, we're not to walk by gifts of the Spirit. We are to live by faith, by the Word of God. Day by day, we're to live by faith and by the Word of God. And if you'll understand this, you'll understand your pastor. If you'll understand this, you'll understand somebody like Dr. Fred Price. We, we love all of these things. We operate in them as the Holy Spirit wills. But day by day, we walk by the word. 
And that's how you live a life of victory. That's how you live a life that bears good fruit. Paul knew that when the gifts are abused or used with wrong motivations or done out of order or, or not out of love, God's people will not be built up and edified. And that is the purpose for us gathering together, amen? To be built up, to be edified, that we would grow up, that we would mature, that the church would be strengthened, that every believer among us, even the weakest member, might be strong in the Lord, that we might be effective and productive, not ineffective and unproductive. But for that to happen, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40, but everything should be done in a fitting and an orderly way. Some translations say decent, a decent and orderly way. And that includes with the gifts of the Spirit. If the gifts are exercised, they are to be done so as led by the Holy Spirit in the agape love of God, with love, the agape love of God as the motive. If the gifts are exercised, they are to be done as led by the Holy Spirit in the agape love of God, with the motive of love. Otherwise, as Paul tells us, the church will not be built up and edified. Now here at Faith Christian Center, why do we do things the way we do them? And why don't we allow or permit certain things to go on? It's because we love you. Those of you here in person, those watching online, we love you with the agape love of God. And when we're gathered together, we want you to be built up and edified. We want you to be strengthened. We want you to be effective and productive. And we don't want to do anything ourselves or to permit anything to go on that would cause an unbeliever or someone you invite to say, you are out of your minds. A few years ago, during worship, and this would always happen during a slow song. Lisa Land, God bless her. One of the other singers, they'd be singing a slow song. And a lady... Often she'd come and sit in the center section. You know, people, when they do strange things, they never sit at the back. And so the, the Lisa or someone else would be singing a slow, worshipful song, and this lady would scream. Well, obviously, that kind of interrupts the, the, the service. Amen? And again, we walk by faith, but not how we feel. But that certainly all affects the way we feel. And if you read your Bible, you know that someone's screaming, that's not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't lead or move upon someone to scream. In fact, if you went searching for screaming in the Bible, the only people that scream are those that have a devil or a demon. And so, you know, if you're new, the ushers do their best. We're, we're all human beings, amen. None of us are perfect, and that includes me. And so the ushers, they, they did their best, to, you know, ma'am, Please don't do that. Was she, was she receptive? Did she respond to that? No, she'd come and we'd get to a slow song and sure enough, here it comes. Ah! Well, my father then assigned that problem to Pastor Sue, who is so kind, who is so loving. Now my father says that she gave me a spanking every day of my life when I was a little boy, whether I needed it or not. And I turned out okay, man. So my father assigned that issue to Pastor Sue, sweet Pastor Sue. And you would think, sure enough, if sweet Pastor Sue talks to someone, they would be receptive and they would say, I'm, 
sorry, I apologize, I'm not going to do that anymore. I wouldn't want someone to come in or visit and say, y'all are out of your minds or y'all are crazy. But she did not respond that way. She was mad, she was angry, and her attitude was, I'm going to come and scream and there's nothing you're going to do about it. Well, you're not going to come back then. And see, why would we take that stand? It's because we love you. We want you to be built up and edified. But if you invite a friend or an unsaved family member, whoever it is, we want them to come and have a receptive heart to hear the word of God, receive the word of God, believe the word of God without fleshly distractions that are not God or the Holy Spirit. It is in fact inspired by the devil because he loves to rob people of the seed of the word of God. At Faith Christian Center, why don't we allow certain things to go on? Why might we not allow a guest to come back? It's because we love you with the agape love of God. We want you to be built up. We want you to be edified. We want you to be strengthened. We want you to be effective and productive. Once there was a guest that insisted on laying hands on everybody in every service. And Pastor Sue tried to talk to him. And again, the problem with not listening to Pastor Sue is you could get the meeting with Pastor Gene, and that's not the meeting you want. And I've learned as a young man, God gives us elders to listen to them. And when they say, don't do that, don't say that, you might consider this, as young people, we ought to listen. You know, there were many services in Africa. We laid hands on a lot of people. It is a lot of work, amen? Amen. But I remember having the revelation of meeting Dr. T.L. Osborne and being in the Ukraine and seeing Dr. T.L. Osborne give a very simple message in front of tens of thousands of people, not lay hands on or touch anybody, but pray a simple prayer of faith. And within moments, hundreds of people be healed, night after night. See, God can do more in a moment with simple faith than we can do in all of our activity. And of course, we know from what Jesus said in Mark 16 and what James wrote in James 5, we can lay hands on the sick, amen. But Paul also wrote to Timothy, a young man he trained for ministry in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. You study the great healing revival in America in the 1950s and 60s, most of those healing evangelists, they would not lay hands on or pray for someone the first time they came. They would require them, in fact, to attend so many services before they would pray for them. And that's part of why they got the results that they did. Just so you understand, why don't pastor and I lay hands on everyone in every service? Because we are doers of all the word of God. Say all, and all means all, amen? We lay hands on people on anniversary Sunday, And then throughout the year, we'll minister that way as led by who? The Holy Spirit. But why don't Pastor and I lay hands on everyone in every service? Because we don't want you looking to us as your source. We want you to look to the Lord. The Bible says our help comes from the Lord. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, follow my example as I follow Christ. Why don't Pastor and I lay hands on everyone in every service? We want you to learn from the Word of God how to pray for yourself. We want you to learn from the Word of God how to believe God for yourself. We want you to learn from the Word of God how to receive for yourself so you can walk 
by faith and not by sight. Why do we want you to learn for yourself? Because we love you with the agape love of God. Paul told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 37, if anyone thinks he is a prophet, I, I would say it this way, if some young whippersnapper or an older whippersnapper thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing, what he's writing in chapters 12 through 14, these guidelines, let him acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. So how do we handle those that aren't doers of all the word of God? We ignore them. We love them, but we ignore them. As full gospel, spirit-filled, charismatic Christians, we ought to be doers of all the word of God. And just as we're doers of Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 10 or Acts chapter 19, we also ought to be doers just as much as of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. We ought to be doers of all. Say all, all the word of God. Some ministers are of the mindset to let anything and everything go on because maybe it just could be the Holy Spirit. But that's not what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40. But everything should be done in a fitting or decent and orderly way. I love reading about Azusa Street and William Seymour. What a humble man of God. When he was a student learning at Parham's Bible School, those were the days of segregation. William Seymour sat on the steps outside the building. A humble man of God who pointed to Jesus, not to himself. And in those years, the Azusa revival went on. Anytime there was anything fleshly or out of order or that wasn't the Holy Spirit, William Seymour would himself go to the person and put his hand on their shoulder and say, now brother, sister, you know that's not the Holy Spirit. See, that's what a loving pastor and leader does. See, why do we teach on what is helpful and practical for you in your everyday life? Why do we avoid fads or nonsense or things that have nothing to do with the Bible? Because we love you. Why do we work to make sure things are done in a decent or fitting and orderly way? It's because we love God. We love his word. We love you, his people. And we also love unbelievers. We want to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, before we conclude, here are two more reasons why you should walk in love. Number four, not walking in love hinders faith. Not walking in love hinders faith. If you don't walk in the agape love of God with the motive of love, your faith will not work. You believing God will not work. Galatians 5 and verse 6, Paul wrote, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. He was writing to a church in which Jewish believers had told Gentile believers they had to do all these things to be saved. We receive by faith. But if you want your faith to work, here's the key. Faith worketh how? Faith worketh by love. The agape love of God. Faith worketh by love. How does faith work? By the agape love of God. How does faith operate and function successfully? By the agape love of God. This is why Paul told the church at Corinth in chapter 13, if we have not love, we are nothing. And we gain, we accomplish, we achieve nothing. 
Galatians 5 and verse 6 in the NIV says, the only thing that counts, which means the only thing that counts, which means the only thing that counts. What does it all boil down to? If you want your prayer life to work, if you want your faith to work, if you want your marriage to work, if you want your business to work, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. How does faith work? By the agape love of God. How does faith operate successfully? By the agape love of God. Faith worketh by love. Number five, not walking in love will hinder your prayer life and answered prayer. 1 John 3 and verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. Why do so many believers lack confidence when they pray? Their hearts condemn them. Why do their hearts condemn them? Because they don't obey the commands of God. They don't live a life that is pleasing to God. And what is one of the major areas in which they do not obey the commands of God? What is one of the major areas in which they're not living a life that is pleasing to God? The answer is they're not walking in love. You might, if you were to say to me, Austin, I, I'm doing, I've done all I know to do. I don't know why it's not working. Friend, have you considered the problem is love? Have you considered the problem is walking in love with the Lord, with your husband or wife, with your children? Faith worketh by love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So a lot of believers, they're not walking in love, and so their hearts condemn them. And that's why they don't pray in confidence with faith, and that's why they don't receive anything from God. Not walking in love will hinder your prayer life and answered prayer. Let's go to 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. And wives, make sure your husband underlines this in his Bible. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing, say nothing, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You know, it could just be your wife saying, Lord, don't answer his prayers. I'm kidding. But not treating your wife the way you should will hinder your prayers. Not walking in love with your wife the way you should will hinder your prayers. Not loving with selfless love will hinder your prayers. Not living the kind of life that Paul lays out for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It keeps no record of wrongs. Not walking in love that way will hinder your prayer life and your answered prayer so that nothing, say nothing, will hinder your prayers. So not walking in love will hinder your prayer life and your answered prayers. We learn in the Sermon on the Mount that when you judge others, you're not walking in love. When you don't forgive, you're not walking in love. When there is unforgiveness in your life, it will hinder answered prayer. When Jesus taught on the prayer of faith, he then said in Mark eleven twenty five, 25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything, say anything, against anyone, say anyone. If you hold anything against anyone, what did Jesus say? Forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. 
If we want to be forgiven, what must we do? If we don't want to be judged, what must we do? Not judge. If we want to receive mercy, what must we show? If we want our Heavenly Father to hear us and to answer us, it matters how we treat each other. It matters how a husband treats his wife or how a wife treats her husband or how they treat their children. Not walking in love and unforgiveness will hinder your prayer life and answered prayer. What's love got to do with answered prayer? Everything. What's love got to do with living by faith and your faith working and being effective and productive? Everything. What's love got to do with the gifts of the Spirit and us being edified and built up when we come to church? Everything. It's got everything to do with it. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, Paul wrote, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. The Holy Spirit of God is a person. He wants to lead you into all truth. He wants to lead you into all understanding. He wants to fill your life. He wants to fill you with his baptism. He wants to work in your life and through your life, but to know him, to walk with him, to be led by him, you must walk in the agape love of God with the motive of love. To know him, to walk with him, you must walk in love. Thank you for listening to this life-changing message. To partner with us and to help us reach more people with the good news of the gospel, visit our website at faithchristiancenter.com. Your financial support is enabling us to reach more people than ever before. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer, you are born again and today is a new beginning. We would like to send you a copy of Dr. Jean Lingerfeld's book, God's Very Own Child. To receive your free copy, call the church office at 817-561-3400 or send an email to info at faithchristiancenter.com. Remember to put God first in every area of your life because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. And don't forget, we walk by faith, not by sight.